This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Are true in Christ, um, sort of in the spiritual realm, but we just don't want to know that they're true um, uh, as a thing of existence as we are as, as followers of Christ, but we actually want to experience these things in our lives. We want to be healed and whole. Uh, one of the things that we have in common as human beings, people, uh, regardless of their background and race and creed and color and every different thing that you could think about, uh, one of the things that we have in common as humans is that we suffer, that we go through difficulties, that we go through struggles. And at the centerpiece of the Christian faith is the image of suffering. The cross is this tremendous image of suffering that God comes to us in Christ and he identifies with our suffering. And so we've been looking at this uh, for the last three weeks. And the first week we talked about peace. We talked, and the second week we talked uh, a couple different people who were in very desperate circumstances that God was able to bring them out of those desperate, desperate circumstances. And then last week we talked about that there is hope uh, for the broken. So if you missed any of those messages, they are available on our website or on our podcast, or you can also listen um, through our church app. So some of the things that we've been saying throughout this series is as we've been looking at the great chapters of redemption in Isaiah chapter 53, there are some things that we see that Jesus took on himself on the cross. We see that he was despised, that he was rejected, that he was a person of grief, a person of sorrow, that he was oppressed, uh, troubles, sickness, and disease, all of these different things that we face as humans. Now, we know that all of these things have an impact on our lives. They have an impact on our physical bodies, and then they also have an impact on our mind or our psyche, how um, we are facing life when we are hit with certain hurts. We know that sometimes physical hurts actually hurt less sometimes than the emotional scars that we have or the things that we go through emotionally or the things that we have to face with our minds. But we see that Jesus went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body for us, spirit, soul, and body, that he took all of these things on himself on the cross and then he gives us God's life instead. So we have this thing in common. We have this thing Uh, We have suffering in common, difficulties in common, but there is also something else that we have in common, this desire to not stay there. We know that it isn't our ultimate purpose, that it isn't our ultimate destination, and so we want to get out. We just know innately that it's just not right, that I should be living my life constantly in this place of being despised or broken or this place of sickness and disease. We try to get out of these situations. And salvation tells the story that God is pulling us out of these situations, that he's pulling us out of this grief and this sorrow in this place where we're despised and rejected of men, this place of sickness and disease that God, by his power, what he accomplished through Jesus on the cross is pulling us out. And this is the whole premise of this series about being healed and experiencing God's wholeness. So we're just going to finish up talking about this today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to John chapter 3, a very famous, important uh, scripture. Sometimes when we know verses uh, too well, they kind of lose their meaning to to us, but let's not do that, especially with this verse. 
Now, before I read this today, how do you feel and how do you respond when you know somebody likes you? When somebody has some affection for you and, you know, they say something good about you or, you know, hey, you look good today or, you know, whatever. When somebody gives you a compliment sometime, how does that make you feel? Does it put a smile on your face or does it put a frown on your face? Puts a smile on your face. Um, um, when I was in grade eight, I had a secret admirer. Just telling, telling the truth. When I was in grade eight, I started to have notes show up in my locker that somebody really liked me. And it really made me feel good. Now, I found out soon after that it was a lowly grade seven, so it kind of like put a damper on it. Um, <laughs> but in that moment, in those moments, when I was getting like these, you know, you're so cute and you're this and that and the other, you know, especially maybe for guys too, it like, it boosts your ego, it makes you feel really good about yourself. And this is true about life. When we know somebody likes us, when we know that somebody is for us, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel appreciated. It makes us feel this is how it should be. But the question is for us, how do we think that God feels about us? Does God actually love us? Does, or does God get moody with us? And God, sometimes God is our secret admirer, and then sometimes he's really angry and just almost hates us. Because this is a really important question for us to answer within the context of our relationship with God. If we think God is up and down as it relates to us, it can really cause us to struggle in life. If we're not sure if God is for us, if we're not sure that God is really loving us and caring about us, and if we're trying to follow Jesus and we're trying to be Christians... And then it can, it can really cause us to struggle how we think about life and what our worldview is as it relates to being a Jesus follower. How do I think God feels about me? Does he love me? Does he care about me? So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the love of God today. And I never, I never am ashamed about how much I talk about the love of God because it's so important for us to know and to understand and be affirmed uh, in the love of God. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. That God gave us Jesus so that we could be saved through him. This is such an important idea. But how did it start out? For God so loved the world. And I heard one preacher say it like this, and I really like it, so I'm going to borrow it. God has a case of the so loves for you. He doesn't just love you. He so loves you. I mean, he loves you. His love for you does not fluctuate with the weather. His love for you doesn't fluctuate with your good days and with your bad days. He so loves you that he sends Jesus to, to show us, not just to tell us. It's not just a voice came from heaven, hey, I love you. He actually sent Jesus so that we could understand and we could actually experience God's salvation in Christ, in him. 
such an important idea for us to remember and to think about when we think about this idea of God's love. Does God really love me? Or is it up and down? Is it here today, gone tomorrow? This idea that God is loving us is so important. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Here's a story about somebody getting healed in Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, it says, After he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him, and a leper approached him and bowed low before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you do not speak to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and bring an offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And we've seen a couple different people in this series who were suffering from leprosy. Now, we, this is something that we uh, are not aware of, obviously, within our culture, but people uh, would suffer from leprosy in, in these times. And it was a very serious, obviously, physical condition. But what went on also with the physical condition is that, and you've heard this phrase, a leper colony. So when somebody contracted leprosy, they were no longer able to live in their village. They were no longer able to live with their family. They were sent away out of the city, sort of outside of the outskirts of the city because they weren't sure how the disease was transmitted. They would have to wear a certain type of clothing. And if anybody came close to them that didn't have leprosy, they were supposed to cover their face and say, unclean, unclean. So not only did they have a terrible physical condition, but they had just the the mental and emotional anguish that went along with being separated from your family and then no one actually wanting to be around you anymore. We've been reading in Isaiah 53 in this series talking about being despised and rejected of men. When these things happen to us, we like people to like us, but when people don't like us, it hurts. It's hard to deal with. It's a struggle for us emotionally. So a leper in, an, in this time had this physical, terrible physical disease that was eating away at their flesh but then also the uh, emotional anguish of being separated from family and loved ones and nobody wanting to shake your hand, nobody wanting to hug you, separated from your family. So here this guy, he's in terrible, dire circumstances. And he comes and he asks Jesus this question. He approached and bowed low, saying to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He had heard something about Jesus and he realized Jesus had the ability to heal sickness and disease, the power to heal sickness and disease. So that really wasn't his question. I know you have the ability, but then the question he's asking, are you willing? Is it your will for me to stay in this terrible circumstance or is it your will for me to come out? And this is the question we ask a lot today. We're like, I, I'm here, there's something good, and then there's something great in my life, and I'm excited, I'm happy, I'm like, oh, God really loves me, and then I find myself in a difficult spot, and I'm like, oh, maybe God doesn't. Maybe it's God's will for me to be in this valley. Maybe it is God's will for me to be in the middle of this struggle. And what I love here about Jesus' answer, is it's, it is the answer for us as well. And we never see in the life and ministry of Jesus who is the express will of God, we never see in the life of Jesus somebody asking Jesus this question and Jesus answering saying, no, no, it's my will for you just to stay sick. It's my will for you just to stay in the valley. It's my will for you just to struggle with this and that you're just one of those ones that's just going to have to suffer for the rest of your life. We all know intrinsically in our soul, we know that that's not right. But Jesus answers once and for all for us to know. 
He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him. The first thing that we see, here's a guy that hasn't been hugged or anybody approached him for a long period of time, missing his family, and here Jesus is just putting his hand on him. What would that do for that guy? Instead of people running away from you, somebody's walking up to you and just putting a hand of compassion on him. What would that mean to this man? So he put his hand on him saying, I am willing, be clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And this is the way we need to think, and this is what we need to believe about God and what he thinks about us and what his will is for us when we are despised and rejected of men, as we've been reading in this series. A man of sorrows, a man acquainted with griefs. In Isaiah 53, someone who's associated with sickness and disease, that all of these things, that God put all of these things on Jesus so that we could then experience something else, that we could actually experience, not just know about, not just hear about, experience God's salvation. This great exchange took place. That all of these things went on Jesus so that on you and I could be the goodness and love of God. That we could experience, not just hear about, not just dream about. Experience the salvation of God in our lives. So our circumstances might be against us, but God never is. We don't look at our circumstances and from that extrapolate God's will. Here's this circumstance, so I think then, therefore, God is against me. No, God so loves you, so cares about you. And Jesus answers the question, well, is it your will? Is it, is it your will just for me just to remain in this terrible thing for the rest of my life? No, I am willing. He is able and willing. John chapter 7, verse 37 it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those whom he believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Here at this, at this feast, Jesus says... Come to me and drink. And then he says, something is actually going to come out of your heart. When we come to God, we come to Jesus. This metaphor, we're going to come to him and drink. Now, we don't actually get a physical cup. In in John chapter 4, Jesus uses the same metaphor. He talks about living water, that you're going to drink living water from Jesus. So this metaphor, what does it mean? What am I doing when I'm drinking from this cup of life, this living water that God gives us? And then it says, out of our heart, out from the inside of us is going to flow living water. We come to Jesus, and then something is actually going to come out of us. Now, what comes out of us? Words come out of us, don't they? Now, we know when we're in dire circumstances, we're in difficult circumstances, something is coming against us. We know that those circumstances, in a sense, they're speaking to us comes against us that, you know, it's never going to happen. You're never going to be able to pay your bills. You're never going to get out of this sickness and disease. This relationship thing is never going to work out for you. This circumstance will never change. These things speak to us. But the question is, what do we say back? What do we answer back? Do we answer with agreeing with the love of God or are we just agreeing 
with our circumstances. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. That God actually wants this awareness of the fact that God loves us to come up out of the inside of us. Because I came to Jesus and I, and I drank something from him. And so God wants something then to come out of our mouths, not just to lay down under the circumstances. And well, I guess this is just my lot in life. And just agree our words with these circumstances. No, he wants something else to come out of our mouths. Let's turn, turn over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Now, in the book of Galatians, which is a, uh, a tremendous book, it helps us to understand the gospel, that in, in the Galatian church there was Jews and there was Gentiles, uh, people who had a religious background, some people who didn't have a religious background. And Peter was at this church, and the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's talking about Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And what had happened was that Peter um, used to be hanging out with everybody in the church, you know, Jewish background, Gentile background. Jew- Gentile just means non-Jewish. And, but then something happened where the Jewish people came in, and they started to intimidate Peter and saying, you know, hey, everybody needs to also, hey, we, we like Jesus and we appreciate Jesus, but everybody also still needs to follow the, the Jewish religious laws. And so Peter started to separate himself from the Gentiles in the Galatian region. So this is what Paul is addressing with uh, Peter in this, subject, in this section of Scripture. Verse 14, But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, who is Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So in other words, referencing the Old Testament, these, these uh, laws in the Old Testament that had ballooned up into over 600 rules and regulations, these r- religious rules and regulations that they needed to keep, that he's saying, hey, you are Jew, and you can't even do all of these laws and all of these religious rules. How do you expect these other people to do the same thing? Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Everybody say no one. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, the word justified means just to have right standing with God, and a play on the word is just as if I'd never sinned. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are justified before God, and then we're given this place, this place of righteousness based on what Jesus has done, that nobody is made right by what they do. But what happens is a lot of times when we find ourselves in a struggle, when we find ourselves in a difficult place, we try to make it right by what we do. And we try to maybe become more religious. I got to change. I got to do something else in my life. I got to change this. I got to do this. And maybe there's some religious rule that I'm not following. And so maybe I'm messing up in a certain area. And we kind of go on a big why hunt, which is kind of a big witch hunt in our lives. Why? Why did this happen? Why am I in the valley? 
Why am I here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And then imperceptibly, we're, we're kind of saying, why, God? Why now and why this? Why now and why this? And we talk about this a lot of times, and, and once again, I, I want to keep affirming the love of God and the goodness of God. We, we keep saying that we find ourselves in these negative, difficult circumstances for three different reasons. We make stupid decisions sometimes. Anybody ever make a stupid decision? Come on now. Let's all just be honest today in church. We've made stupid decisions, and then what happens? We know sometimes there's repercussions for those dumb decisions that we make. So sometimes the things that we're facing are because of our own silly choices. Second thing, there's a devil, the enemy. The scripture talks about there, there is an enemy, a person of evil. Why would we then associate, why would we try to associate evil with God? There is an enemy. There's an enemy in the world. And then the last thing, we live in a broken world. It's this, this is the part of the story of the scripture. The world isn't the way it was intended to be. So it's one of those three reasons. And there could be some details in the round. There could be a combination of a few things. It could be this, or that, and the other. But the question is I have for you, if you find out why, does it actually help you? If you get this exact clear reason, here's why you are in these circumstances right now. And then here's, ah, oh, here's the answer. Will that actually help you? It doesn't actually help you. What needs, what, what should help us is be like, hey, I actually want to come out. Whether you know why or you don't know why, you don't want to stay there. But we always know it's not God. God is good. God is good. God is loving. God so loved the world. God never hates you. God is never against you. He so loves you. But he's saying here that no one is justified by the works of the law. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners in Christ, then a servant of sin, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I've proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. We find ourselves in this wonderful place of grace. Why? Because God loves us. We're talking about being healed, experiencing God's healing power and his wholeness. Why does God heal today? Now, when I was a, a younger preacher, you know, there, there are some people in the body of Christ, some, some preachers and pastors and denominations and our brothers and sisters who we'll spend eternity with who don't actually believe that God heals and brings wholeness to our life. Now, when I was a younger preacher, I thought God was healing people to prove to the other preachers who don't believe in healing that I was right. And they were wrong. 
you know what? That God doesn't heal people for that reason. Do you know why we experience God's healing power and his wholeness? The only reason? It's because he loves us. He loves us. And that's it. See, here in this portion of Scripture, in the book of Galatians, these Christians had, hey, we've got faith in Jesus, but now what we're going to do, we're going to try to add also some religious rules and some religious laws, and I will fulfill the religious rules and laws. And if I do those things also with Jesus, then I'll really find myself that God will really, really love me if I do the religious things. And if I do this and I do that and I say that and, and I pray this many hours and I read my Bible this many days and I serve at church and I tie that church and I do this and I do and I do all of these wonderful good things and then maybe at the end of that God will really love me. But you see all of that is dependent on self. All of that is just depending on myself, my own righteousness, my own goodness. And you know that's a really hard way to live. It's a really, really hard way to live, to try to fulfill all of the religious rules. Or also to depend on, here, I don't do this. I don't do X, Y, and Z. And because I don't do X, Y, and Z, God's really, really, really going to love me. And then I'll get healed or I'll experience God's wholeness because I don't do this. And once again, that's a dependence on self. That's a dependence on me and how good I can be or how bad I'm not going to be. But the scripture says that nobody is justified by the keeping of the laws and the rules. Nobody at all. You know, and we have uh, imperceptibly in our lives, if we've grown up at church. See, here's one of the things that we know about Christians. Has anybody been in church for more than five years in your life? What is it that we know about the other Christians that we've done life with or we've, we've sat in church beside? What is it that we know about them is that they're not good enough, right? They mess up sometimes. And why do we know that about them? Because we know that actually about ourselves. That all of us who sit in church on a Sunday base, on, on a Sunday, on a Sunday, every Sunday, whether it's this church or other churches, nobody in this church or any other church is good enough in and of themselves. And nobody qualifies in this church or any other church because... They fulfill a set of religious rules. Now, we look at the Jewish rules and we're like, oh, we would never do such things. We would never impose such laws on ourselves. But there's church rules. There's imperceptible church rules that we've grown up with. And how church should look and how church should sound and how it should be and how you should dress. And if we think, if I do all of these things and I fulfill all of these rules and, and, and regulations, and if we sing three hymns at church and one new song, then certainly God will move because we've sung a majority of hymns and not these new choruses. And certainly God can't move in a place that has flashy lights that just look like the world. I'm just going to open a can of worms for myself this morning. <clears throat> God doesn't heal anybody based on lights on a stage, not lights on a stage, jeans on the preacher, suits on the preacher. Nothing happens because of those things. 
The goodness of God is experienced. His healing power, His wholeness is experienced because of the love of God. Because if we can point to anything else, then it's not because of Jesus. Hey, you know what? You, you need to make sure that you listen to this preacher. And if you don't listen to this famous preacher, I'm just not even sure you're in. Then I'm depending on Jesus and this other preacher. You know what? I'm just not, not going to depend on the other preacher. On Christ the solid rock I stand. There's a quote of him that you all love. All other ground, including famous preachers, is sinking sand. We don't put our faith in any religious thing that we can do based on the denomination you grew up in or the denomination I grew up in. It is in Christ alone. Him only do we depend on. And why does his salvation come to us? Because we're good, or we avoid this, or we don't do this. Man, there's certain things that, listen, common sense. I'm not endorsing sin. We know when we sin, it's not a good idea. Right? Come on now. We know it's, we got laws and we put people in jail when they sin. It's not a new revelation to us. When we make stupid choices, there are repercussions. But we're not depending on our avoidance of those things to be righteous before God or to experience his wholeness, or his goodness. What are we depending on? The life that I live now, the, the life now I live, I'm living right now, in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I live right now. This over here, this is a hard way to live. Can anybody testify that it's true? It's a hard way to live. You think, I got, I got to do this religious rules. I got to make this person happy. I got to do this. I got to do this to make... Are you happy yet? I'll get on my religious treadmill. Do you, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? Okay, then God, certainly you're going to like me. Man, you can't make enough people like you. You can't make God like you. He already so loves you. The life... Now I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This whole different way to live, not like this. There's this whole different way to live. There's this whole other way to live. And it is in the spacious love and grace of God in which there is no dependence on my goodness. It stands alone in the love of God and the healing and the wholeness that I so desperately need is only here in God's love. It isn't there. It isn't there in trying to achieve something, to make the religious people happy. Did I do it right? Did I make you happy, God? No, I'm just going to rest. I'm going to rest in his love and his grace. The life now I live, the life that I live now, Right now in the flesh. We know it's going to be easy when we get to heaven. There's, there's no enemies and there's no enemies of our soul. And we're not going to make stupid decisions. But the life that I live right now. I'm going to live because God loves me. And I'm just going to rest in that. 
You might not love me sometimes, and some person might despise me sometimes, and somebody might not, might not like the thing that I do, or I'm not religious enough for them. Man, but I can't live over there. It's too hard. It's too hard to live like that. I'm just going to come over here, and I'm just going to rest in the grace and love of God because He so loves me. And he gave his son, he gave Jesus for me. So I could just experience his healing power and I could experience the wholeness that I so desperately need. I'm not going to depend on myself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I'm just going to read you some verses about the love of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, can I get all the wives to say amen? I know, but I'm not talking about you right now, but you've got a good amen in there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He loves, so he gives. We're supposed to, what, what is this description? Hey, I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved her. And he gave himself. Gave himself. John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone will lay down his life for his friends. It's no greater love than that. It's not just in the, hey, I love you. God didn't just shout, hey, I love you. He sent his son. He sacrificed his son because he so loves you. Separate from what you might do or not do, here, trying to be good enough for God, trying to be religious enough, trying to qualify. You don't. I don't. We will never qualify. What qualifies us for the love of God is Jesus. God loves you not based on your behavior. God loves you based on himself. God is love. So I was, I'm, I was good today, and I really qualified, and I really did good, and so I know God really loves me today. And today was kind of a bad day. You know, it was a Friday night. I'm sorry, God. Maybe he doesn't love me so much today. He can't not. It's who he is. It's who he is. There's nowhere to run from the love of God. There's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you could go. The scripture says, I can make my bed in hell. But there's nowhere you can run from the love of God. There's nowhere you can go from the goodness of God and the call of his mercy and the call of his forgiveness. And it doesn't come because I'm on some religious treadmill satisfying this rule and that rule and this regulation. It comes because of Jesus. I'm going to put my faith and trust in him, in his love he brings his healing to me and his wholeness to me because he loves me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. How did we get God's love? Uh, it was given to us. Did we qualify for it? No, we don't actually. But it's given to us. 
And when it's given to us, why would we try to do all of the stuff to try to qualify for it? Man, we can just rest in it. Rest in it. Rest in his love. And what does it feel like? How does it make our heart when we know somebody loves us? I mean, some grade seven girl liked me and it made me feel sweet. And my life, my wife has dedicated her life to me and given me children. Thanks, babe. And that's some kind of love. But what about the love of the Father God who sends his son to die? There's no love like it. How should that love make us feel? How should that love make us go through life? That he, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of me, the one who knows me on my best day and my worst day, still loves me and is not quitting on me and is not quitting on my circumstances. He is for me with his love that never ends. How should that make us feel? What, what, what kind of look should we have on our face even in the middle of difficulty? Even the middle of struggle? You know, I've kind of made it a practice a little bit, you know, when I, when I run into some difficult stuff and some difficult choices and stuff, to just, like, smile. And sometimes people think you're weird. It's like, why are you smiling? Why are you laughing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what to do uh, right now, but I know I'll know. I know God's going to help me out. I know it's not God's will for me to stay in this place. I know that he's going to lead me in a direction. Why? Because he loves me. He can't help himself. Same for you. He so loves you. So loves you. If you're not happy this morning, I am preaching myself happy anyway. <laughs> that we would be called the children of God. You know, we, we know that you love your kids. You bring them to church and we see it. But all the stuff that nobody else sees is all the reasons why we know you love your kids. Up at midnight when they're babies or when they're sick or whatever the case, you know, whatever the case might be. All the stuff that you do, all the work that you put in, all the money that you make so they can eat and wear clothes and live indoors. All the sacrifices that they will never know that you have made for them. You love your children. How much more, the scripture says, does God love us? Never ends. Never, it never stops. Based on what you do or you don't do, man, we can just rest in it. We can put our trust in it. And his love... First Corinthians 13, verse 13 says this. So now faith, hope, and love abide or remain, one translation says. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. Not, I got to work for it. 
I got to qualify for it. Do I qualify for it? Do you like me enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough good things? Am I religious enough? Do I look religious enough? No, the things that remain are faith, hope, and love, that I'm going to abide in the love of God. Faith says, I'm just going to trust the love of God. Hope says, I'm going to expect the love of God in my life in the flesh that I live in right now. Not just in the sweet by and by, not just when I am in heaven, that eternal life starts right now. It's happening right now. And God's not just going to be with you when you get to heaven. He's with you right now with His undying, abiding love that does not quit, does not fade away based on your actions or your lack of actions, or your, your ability to be good enough. Never changes. It's always the same. Last section of verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He says, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand that on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I love that phrase. A second experience of grace. And see, what we need when we find ourselves on the treadmill is, see, we got saved by grace. We said yes to God's love by grace, and then we try to do it on our own. We try to figure it out on our own. We try to be impressive enough on our own. We try to do this and that and the other just on our own. But what a lot of us need is just a second experience of grace that it means it doesn't actually rely on you. It's his love that I'm going to have faith in. It's his love that I'm going to have hope in, that I'm going to expect to see in the flesh right now second experience of grace I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me away on my way to Judea was I vacillating when I wanted to do this did I make my plans according to the flesh already to say yes yes and no no at the same time as surely as God is faithful our word has not been yes and no for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Sabanus and Timothy, I was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Him who? Him, Jesus, who we put our trust in. See, all the promises of God are not yes in me and how oppressive I am how good I am. The promises of God are not yes in me. They are yes in him. What are they? They're yes. The promise that says I'm coming out, that I'm not staying in the valley, the, the promise answers yes. All of the promises in the love of God are yes. Not yes and no. 
It's not yes today and no tomorrow. That all the promises for now and for all time are in Christ, yes. That is why through him we utter our amen to the glory of God. What is amen? Amen means so be it. Because he says yes, I just say so be it. So be it, God. Whatever your promises are to me for this, for my relationship, for my life, for my healing, for my wholeness, you say yes in you. I just rest in you today. See, and for us, the struggle is time. Well, how long is it going to take? You understand that God doesn't have a struggle with time. We have a struggle with time, especially in the society in which we live. Like we want microwave everything. Like, we just need an app for everything right now. We need it right now. But ultimately, it doesn't actually matter how long it takes as long as we don't stay in the valley because we know all of the promises in him are what? They're yes. And then we say, what do we say? Amen. I say, so be it. Why? Because I've drank from the cup of Jesus. And then something actually comes out of me that affirms the promise. Something out of my mouth that says, yes, I shouldn't actually be living in this valley place. I shouldn't be living in this struggle and this confusion that I know God loves me. So I affirm his promises in my life. And I put a smile on my face even when there's no reason to smile. Why? Because I know I have a secret admirer who loves me even before I've brushed my teeth in the morning. Even when I don't look religious enough. And I'm not religious enough. His love doesn't quit. His love doesn't quit. His grace doesn't stop because of us. Our actions don't stop the grace of God. Our actions don't stop the love of God. His love is coming for you. His love is coming for you. You know, if you grew up in a religious background, you might have thought God was coming for you with a sledgehammer. The scripture says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. God is coming after you with his love. He's chasing you down with his love, young people. He's chasing you down because your life submitted to God is the best life you could ever live. So he's not chasing you down with his disappointment. He's chasing you down with his love. He's chasing you down with arms wide open, full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And all he's waiting for us is to stop depending on ourselves. I'm just going to depend on him. And in Christ, all the promises are yes. And I say... Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love today. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.